2: Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program today, we have a conversation with Georgie Corey, an alumni of Charles Darwin's University's Pathways to Politics program for women. As you'll hear, Georgie Corey is putting the skills and knowledge she learned to the test as she leads the YES campaign in the Northern Territory. Also on NITV Radio, and staying in the context of the voice referendum, well, leading up to the vote, every single household in the country will be sent an official pamphlet setting out the arguments for both the yes and no cases. And what does this mean to voters? Also on NITV Radio today, we'll be joined by Nunga woman Emma Gallet. She's a lawyer, an academic and columnist, and she'll be talking to us about the Best Australian Yarn Competition, which this year comprises a new prize category for First Nations storytellers. All these stories and more come to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Betron Tungandame Ngaya. I am Betran Tungandame. Australia Day 1972
1: saw so on, the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside of The native title legislation must be amended.
0: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came.
1: I am sorry.
2: In this bulletin, a new service to help combat the spread of misinformation on the voice to parliament referendum. Sexual assault allegations leave a senator feeling shattered. And in sport, Australian Olympian Sir James Hardy dies aged 90. Checkings, a fact-checking service has been launched ahead of the referendum on the Voice to Parliament to help journalists combat the spread of misinformation. Online ver- verification newsroom cross-check is a collaboration between RMIT, Fact Lab, SBS and National Indigenous Broadcaster NITV. Crosscheck will enable the public to report dubious or potentially misleading information in the lead up to the referendum. Crosscheck Director and RMIT Principal Research Fellow Dr. Anne Kruger says the service will aim to maintain integrity of information in what she says is a time when information flows are increasingly vulnerable to manipulation. She says it's important to ensure the media play a role in keeping the public informed and are not targeted by false and misleading information. Reconciliation advocates and Reconciliation Advocate Senator Pat Dodson has urged critics to support the Indigenous voice to Parliament, saying the referendum will acknowledge injustices. The WA Labour senator, who is currently on medical leave and unable to attend Parliament to debate the voice referendum, sent a message that was read in the Senate by Foreign Minister Penny Wong. In the message, Senator Dodson said the voice is a historic opportunity for change and that it will face up to what he says is Australia's legacy of colonisation and assimilation. Parliament is debating the final form of Indigenous voice referendum the Indigenous vo- voice referendum will take, as well as the proposed constitutional change. of what in the Senate is due to be held next week. In the meantime, Indigenous Senator Lydia Thorpe has again strongly opposed the upcoming voice referendum, telling Parliament the proposed body would be what she calls window dressing. As the Upper House continued debate on the Indigenous voice, the Independent Senator says the voice would not adequately address issues affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. She's instead urged the government to implement a treaty. The
3: voice... They have promised we'll give First Nations a say. But the truth is it is just constitutional recognition with a powerless advisory body as window dressing. This referendum has already given space to and elevated some of the most vile racism this country has ever seen. And that's saying something.
2: Parliament is due to vote on the voice referendum early next week. New data released by the Productivity Commission has revealed only four of the 19 Closing the Gap targets are on track and life outcomes for Indigenous people are continuing to worsen. The review found suicide remains the leading cause of death for Indigenous youth aged between 15 and 19. It suggests targets to reduce the rate of incarceration for Indigenous adults are not on track and the proportion of First Nations youth in remote communities who have a job, a traineeship or study has fallen below a third. Author and historian Dr Jackie Huggins says the solution begins with listening.
3: I think the mechanism will be through the voice to get a structure up in place and to be able to um, not only listen but start implementing um, all those... Reports that have uh, not seen the light of day, Um, reports like bringing them home. Uh, We would not be in the situation that we find ourselves today had those reports been implemented.
2: Opposition leader Peter Dutton has expelled Senator David Van from the Liberal Party room following further allegations of inappropriate conduct. It counts as Senator Van faces sexual assault allegations made by Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe in Parliament and former Liberal Senator Amanda Stoker. Ms. Thorpe used parliamentary privilege to accuse Senator Van of harassment and sexual assault, after which Ms. Stoker accused Senator Van of inappropriately touching her at an event in 2020. Senator Vann has denied both Senator Thorpe and Miss Stoker's claims. Mr Dutton told Nine News he raised another allegation with Senator Van, which resulted in his decision to expel the senator from the opposition party
1: room. Made the decision. Uh, I believe it's in the best interests of the Liberal Party and uh, uh, that's what I've uh, acted upon and uh, I, I don't want Senator Van sitting in our party room. I've made that clear. And I think, uh, you know, to, be, to be frank and to be fair, I think uh, the Prime Minister would have made uh, the same decision in relation to uh, somebody from his own side. Uh, this is an issue uh, in any workplace, and I think any boss would uh, be remiss not to act on suggestions. It's unacceptable behaviours.
2: Mr Dutton says he will not comment on the specifics of the further allegations. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has announced a new community energy upgrade Upgrades Fund at the Australian Council of Local Government Held at the National Convention Centre in Canberra, this is the federal government's fifth ACLG. The ACLG was first established as a formal meeting between senior leaders of local government and the Australian government in 2008. Mr Albanese says creating this fund highlights the importance of local government support in building a sustainable and clean energy future.
1: Today I'm very pleased to announce that our government is creating a new Community Energy Upgrades Fund. We're putting forward $100 million to fund energy efficiency projects with local government. This will enable high-impact energy upgrades to pool heating systems, lighting for sports grounds and courts, new storage technology at community centres and libraries, projects that will reduce Australia's emissions and cut your power bills.
2: The head of the United Nations Atomic Energy Agency has visited the Russian-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine and says it is unrealistic to expect the two sides to sign a document on the site's security as fighting continues. Rafael Grossi, chief of the International Atomic Energy Agency, was inspecting the state of the nuclear power plant following last week's devastating breach in the Kharkovka Dam downstream on the Dnipro River. The plant uses a cooling pond to keep its six reactors from potentially disastrous overheating. The Kakofka Reservoir was normally used to refill the pond but cannot do so now because of its falling water level following the bridge. Mr Grossi says it's something they will be monitoring very closely.
0: One of the most uh, serious consequences of the destruction of the Nova Karkofa dam has been the uh, decrease in the level of waters, which, are, which is needed to cool the nuclear power plant behind me. And then behind me what you can see is the cooling pump. Uh, essential for the safety of this plant is that the water that you see behind me stays at that level. There is evaporation, there can be some leak, but it has to be maintained at that level.
2: Cyclone Biparjo has made landfall in India, bringing strong winds, heavy rain and high tides to lush India's Gujarat coast. Authorities relocated more than 180,000 people to safety along the coast and in neighbouring Pakistan ahead of the storm's arrival. Officials said deserted coastal towns were battered as power went out after electricity poles fell and some trees were uprooted by gusty winds. The Director General at the Indian Meteorological Department, Mrutujai Mohapatra, says turbulent weather is expected to continue
1: until midnight. Heavy rainfall is continuing. It will continue and heavy to extremely heavy rainfall is expected. Tidal wave of 2 to 3 metres will inundate the low-lying areas of these districts surrounding Gulf of Guts. So up to midnight, the landfall process will continue, and hence it is the most dangerous part of the cyclone.
2: Back home, the New South South Wales Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research reports that motor vehicle theft in the state is at its highest point in six years. The Bureau attributes it to what it calls a post-COVID-19 crime bounce-back. It also blames the promotion of theft over social media platforms such as TikTok. As with many other property crimes, vehicle theft has fallen dramatically over the past two decades and reached a historic low in September 2021 following two COVID-19 lockdowns. It has steadily increased since then and the number of vehicles stolen in New South Wales was higher in March this year than in any month since January 2017. The Bureau says this represents an increase of more than 20% over the previous two years. The report also pointed out that the increase has been unusually large in parts of regional New South Wales. And in sport, Triple America's Cup's keeper and dual Australian Olympian Sir James Hardy has died aged 90. The well-known yachtsman, Vintner and community leader reportedly died peacefully in Adelaide yesterday. A member of the America's Cup Hall of Fame, Hardy helped set the tone for Australia's momentous and nation-building victory in the famous race. He skipped Australia's America Cup challenges in 1970, 1974 and 1980 and was a key advisor for the iconic Australia 2 crew, which in 1983 ended the 132-year U.S. dominance of the race. Hadi was made an OBE in 1975 and knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 1981 for services to yachting and the community. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Friday. Brom sunny, thirty degrees. Perth showers, nineteen. Adelaide sunny, nineteen. Melbourne mostly sunny, seventeen. Hobart similar conditions, eighteen degrees. Albury Wodonga mostly sunny, fourteen. Canberra partly cloudy, fifteen. Wollongong sunny, nineteen. Sydney sunny as well, in the top of nineteen. Newcastle much the same, twenty degrees. Brisbane sunny, twenty-two. Townsville partly cloudy, twenty-six. Cairns a shower, two twenty-eight. Alice Springs sunny. Twenty-three Darwin, mostly sunny and 32 degrees. And the Torres Strait Islands, partly cloudy day ahead and the top of 99 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News.
1: NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 p.m.,
3: or
2: anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on the Coolin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, conversation with the Northern Territory's Yes Campaign Coordinator. In this conversation, we'll learn about the hard journey leading up to this role, the pros and cons of running the Yes Campaign on a vast territory. The program will also look at the referendum pamphlet, a compulsory electoral tool that will be distributed to all Australian households leading up to the vote. Also, entries are now open for the Best Australian Yarn Competition, a celebration of creative writing open to all Australians from the age of 12. As you hear in the programme, the competition has a First Nations Storytelling Prize for the first time ever. But now, the story of one woman who went from a CDU Pathways programme for women in politics to travelling across the Northern Territory to meet with organisations and community groups while promoting the Yes Vote. Georgie Corey, campaign coordinator for the Yes Vote for the referendum on the Voice to Parliament in the Northern Territory, is joining us on NITV Radio to explore the campaign and her involvement. Welcome to NITV Radio, Georgie.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have a yarn this morning.
2: Before we delve into the campaign itself, tell us about your journey, how you got involved in politics and this campaign.
3: I was really lucky back here in the Northern Territory, CDU last year offered Pathways to Politics for Women, a program that's been running in other states, uh, but for the first time last year in the NT. So, through my hat in the ring for that program, and you know, like many women i think we doubt ourselves but was lucky enough to be part of that program and you know have a number of different workshops with politicians speech writers media training so a lot of different skills gained and had a network of people who knew i was looking for something different and always after a challenge my background's in aboriginal community controlled health so very passionate about the referendum this year and have seen firsthand when community have a voice, the positive outcomes and the practical change that comes from that. So pleasure to jump on board with the campaign, um, but wouldn't have been able to do it without getting that skill set from the program.
2: So from health worker to political campaigner, it's quite a jump.
3: It is. I wouldn't say it's political campaigner because we try and take the politics out of what's happening this year with the Voice to Parliament referendum. Unfortunately, the mechanics of having a referendum in Australia to change our constitution needs the Parliament processes, but we're close to that finishing. Uh, It is a dump, but, you know, background in nursing, so very used to meeting all different types of people in all different scenarios. So, you know, there is definitely some transferable skills. And at the end of the day, this is about taking all Australians through a conversation this year about recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our 122-year-old constitution and doing that through a voice to Parliament. So it is a big jump, but you know, we like challenges and I think, you know, um, everyone, especially us Debbie mobs, are always up to a challenge and we just both to have the opportunities when they come.
2: And uh, your is huge. It's actually bigger than Victoria and New South Wales and Tasmania combined. What does your day look like, your work day campaigning
3: I, uh, for I the years for I wouldn't say there's an average day day on the campaign, that's for sure. You know, take last week. I spent Tuesday uh, and Friday out in Virunga at the Joint Land Council meeting, which saw the four Northern Territory Land Councils come together. Uh Fantastic to catch up with the land council delegates and for them to issue the Barunga Voice declaration, and then had the weekend out at Barunga for the festival, which was an amazing experience um, with over five thousand people attending and just having the opportunity for all territorians and even people from Victoria and Tasmania and Canberra from our conversations um, coming and being immersed in culture and music and art. And this week I'm back in Darwin on beautiful Arakiya country, uh, following up with some meetings and working with different organisations across the territory, before probably heading out over to Peary Island on the weekend um, to do some engagements there. So it's a lot of travel. Uh, I'm very lucky and very fortunate to have worked across the territory um, during my time nursing, so have connections not only in the top end, but out in East Arnhem and down in Central Australia too. So it's uh, really nice to be able to go back to those places and reconnect with um, previous colleagues and old friends and, um, you know, have a conversation and uh, also see the progress being made in communities, you know, local decision-making and um, when we had services transition from government to um, Aboriginal community-controlled, it's really great to see the positive change and, you know, the involvement from the community in those services.
2: And uh, do you see or feel the community is receptive to the campaign and are they getting involved?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, where people are getting involved. You know, we've hit some really large milestones in the campaign. Um, this morning we've had over 500 organisations who have come out in support for the yes vote we've got our four land councils on board here in the Northern Territory and you know, just about having the conversation. You know, A lot of the time, um, unfortunately, there is misinformation and a misunderstanding and I think we've seen that previously during COVID, especially through social media. So just giving the opportunity to have a conversation with someone, with a group of people um, in a safe space where they can ask questions and just unpack what this year is all about and what the question being asked is is really important, and not only just doing it once, but having multiple conversations and being able to follow up uh, with the people we meet with and the organisations we're working with is really important. So, very grateful to have um, the warm invite of communities and to have them sitting down with us and having a yard. From the land council meeting last week, I've had invites to head out to Maningrida, over to the Tiwi Islands, back down to Central Australia for some engagements. So, you know, really looking forward to following up on those and continuing the conversations.
2: Yeah, you kind of touched on some of the uh, challenges you face, like misinformation, and uh, I asked you earlier about uh, the distance that you have to travel. Besides those two challenges, what other how does do you see on your way?
3: Uh, voting in the territory is always a challenge. And we've previously seen that with a complaint to the Human Rights Commission uh, by some community members in East Arnhem and West Arnhem. So trying to ensure that people have the opportunity to vote, and that comes down to people being enrolled to vote. We're really lucky that this year, back in February, the Australian Electoral Commission has now um, allowed Medicare card to be an identifier for enrolment or updating details. So trying to work and partner with our um, Aboriginal medical services who have really easy access to that information to get that um, translated into an enrolment. And then coming down to when we are uh, voting and got remote polling heading on, making sure our communities are well informed when the Australian Electoral Commission is going to be out voting for voting. Uh, Making sure, you know, simple things in terms of those who may have mobility um, issues, you know, might need a lift to go down to the polling centre. As well as considering in a referendum you need to write yes or no. Making sure that we're um, empowering our communities and resourcing our mob to understand that if they can't write, and whether that's for a number of different reasons, they can ask an AEC official to help them with that process. So, you know, this is a really important vote. It's not for a party, it's not for a person. This is to change our constitution and that comes down to the Australian people. So it's really important to make sure that communities have the information they need to participate in that process.
2: Many in the communities, uh, for many in the communities, English is the third, fourth or even fifth language. Isn't that a barrier as well to understanding what's at stake and uh, how to vote?
3: Definitely can be a challenge and it is something the campaign has highlighted as a need to make sure that information is not just in English, it's also in language. So we're working with a number of different organisations to get interpretation in written form, through talking posters, through videos, through television commercials, to ensure that all of our mob across the Northern Territory can receive the information and be able to understand the information in a language for them. And that's working with also, you know, local champions who are really passionate um, for a yes vote and want to do what they can to help, resourcing those champions in community to continue the conversations when I'm not there and to, um, you know, having the feedback. If they're hearing things on the ground, if there's questions coming up, that we can support and resource Um, people and communities to be able to have the answers to those questions.
2: Yeah, I know you're very busy, but before I let you go, I'm still asking you a last question. Maybe anything you'd like to add, maybe a closing word or even a message to send out there?
3: Absolutely. So um, we're getting out there to our communities. If we haven't gotten to you just yet, don't worry, we're coming. If you're really eager to start your work and start getting the message out about this year's referendum, you can head to our website, yes23.com.au. All of our resources are available online and for you to use. So just encouraging all people, organisations, communities to start having the conversation and to also ensure that people are enrolled to vote. So when it comes referendum time, People can participate in this process.
2: Georgie Corey, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today about uh, your role as campaign coordinator for the Yes vote for the referendum on uh, the voice to Parliament in the Northern Territory.
3: Thanks so much for the opportunity. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook.
2: Now, in the weeks leading up to the Indigenous Voice referendum, every single household in the country will be sent an official pamphlet setting out the arguments for both the yes and no cases. But Australians are being warned that the document could contain widely exaggerated claims or flat-out lies. Luana Grant has the details.
0: The pamphlet has been a central part of Australia's referendum process for more than 100 years, Back in the early 20th century, when the Constitution was in its infancy, referendums were commonplace. But the Labour government of the day, led by then Prime Minister Andrew Fisher, was concerned that voters kept rejecting proposed changes because they didn't know enough about the issues. So, in 1912, a new law was created legislating the pamphlet, a way for both the yes and no camps to outline their arguments in 2,000 words or less. According to constitutional law expert, Professor George Williams, from the University of New South Wales, the legislation has not been updated in the decades since.
1: And of course, there's been a few technological advancements since 1912, radio, television, Uh, The internet and the like, and you'd have to say the pamphlet's pretty quaint. Uh, I think we could do better today, but yet this is the only thing provided for in the law by way of the yes and no cases, and it simply has not been updated for more than a century.
0: $10 million of taxpayers' money has been set aside to prepare, print, and mail out pamphlets to every Australian household in the weeks leading up to the upcoming referendum. The glossy documents will contain two essays, one written by parliamentarians who support an Indigenous voice to parliament, and another authored by parliamentarians who oppose the voice. Each side will form a committee to draft their case. They will then seek authorisation from other politicians in the broader yes and no camps before submitting their essays to the Australian Electoral Committee. The AEC is responsible for compiling the essays into a pamphlet and distributing the document to the Australian public, but Electoral Commissioner Tom Rogers says the organisation will not make any changes to the wording.
1: We take no steps to fact check those documents. Whatever we are provided by those committees will be what's distributed to the community and that includes grammatical and spelling errors, for example, or any claims that are made. It's very important that people understand the AEC's role in this process is a postbox. We will not be altering uh, the information that comes in. If we did so, it would open us up to claims, I think, of not being neutral in this particular case and that's something we want to avoid.
0: ...referendum pamphlet see this as a major flaw. When the Fisher government first introduced the document in 1912, the Attorney General at the time, William Hughes, envisaged a system where referendum arguments would be put forward in an impersonable, reasonable and judicial way, appealing to reason rather than to the emotions and party sentiment. According to Professor Williams, history has shown that's not always the case.
1: The idea was that this pamphlet would be a haven of reasonableness and rationality, but in fact it's worked out often to be the opposite. Australians need to be cautious in reading these pamphlets. In the past, they've often contained hyperbole and wild and exaggerated claims. It's not a requirement that they're truthful, and very often they've contained lies and misinformation. And it means Australians do need to be careful, because they can't guarantee that the information in these pamphlets is accurate.
0: Public policy think tank, the Australian Institute, has been lobbying Parliament to introduce truth in political advertising laws... The group formally raised concerns about the pamphlets during an inquiry investigating the machinery of the referendum process last year. Bill Brown, who heads the Australian Institute's Democracy and Accountability Program, is calling on parliamentarians to take measures to engender more trust in the process.
1: There are a few options for making sure that what
4: Australians see is the full truth. One of them is to have the pamphlet prepared by independent experts, who are required to present the case neutrally instead of in an inflammatory or provocative manner. Another is to leave the drafting of the essays still to parliamentarians, but then to have it reviewed for accuracy uh, by an independent panel. The former approach of having materials drafted independently is used in New South Wales, a state that has a very good record for having its referendums pass.
0: The AEC Commissioner says the organisation is rolling out a large-scale communication campaign to ensure Australians understand the arguments have not been written, fact-checked or endorsed by the Electoral Commission.
1: In the pamphlet itself, we will have a message to that effect so that people understand that the information coming from the yes and no case is provided by those parliamentarians and not by the AEC I don't say any of that to be critical or to presuppose that there will be issues with either the yes or the no case, but rather just to ensure that people understand the AEC's role.
0: Australians will receive the pamphlets no later than two weeks prior to the referendum. The material will also be translated into 50 languages, including roughly 20 First Nations languages. The translations will be available in both written and oral form on the AEC website and via its telephone translation service. That story was brought to us by Ben Terry from SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online
3: and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
2: Welcome back. Now, everyone has a story to tell and organisers of the Best Australian Young Competition are now calling on Australians everywhere to put pen to paper and take part in the world's richest short story competition for published and unpublished writers. The Best Australian Young Competition is just around the corner and this year the event includes the inaugural First Nations Storytelling Prize. Joining us on NITV Radio to explore the most exciting storytelling competition in the country is uh, lawyer and academic Emma Gallet. Emma, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio and can you tell us about the Best Australian Young Competition? Who is it for? And uh, what are the changes for this year?
4: Yeah, so the Best Australian Yarn is open now and it's a national competition. The whole competition is open to everyone, but this year we have the inaugural First Nations Storytelling Prize. So that's for First Nations people from around Australia. Um, Anyone can enter over the age of 12 years old. So it's really exciting. And um, the winner of the First Nations Storytelling Prize is also eligible to win the overall prize. Um, which is $50,000. It's the largest prize pool of any short story award in the country and um, the stories only have to be a 1,000 words as a minimum, so 1,000 to 2,500 words. So, yeah, it's exciting and it's a great opportunity for any young Aboriginal aspiring authors or anyone that wants to put a story out there that they have written.
2: Now, we've had you in our programs uh talking uh, about tough subjects like uh, human rights issues, native title and uh, other legal matters of uh, national interest. How did you get involved in the Best Australian Neon competition?
4: For me, it was really important for me to do writing at the West Australian because I was able to give an Indigenous perspective on issues that affected us. And what normally happens is a lot of the time, sometimes stories are written about Indigenous people but not by Aboriginal people. And because of that, i able to share my perspective on lots of different really um, legislative changes that we've had or issues of really national significance. I thought that being a part of a storytelling prize was amazing because it gives an opportunity for all of, of our Aboriginal people across Australia to share a story in their own words, in the way they want to tell it from their perspective. It doesn't have to be long and it's open to using whatever language you want and that is so important because we have such a depth and breadth of storytelling across all of our history and it's our culture. Like our oral storytelling has been told for millennia and like since time immemorial. And it's how we to educate our young people. It's how we teach them a, a maybe a really important lesson about life is through a story. And so for people being able to share that now in their own words and for everyone else to be educated about is really vital and important, and just such an important initiative. So, I feel very um, excited to be a part of it.
2: Based on your expertise and uh, your areas of work, uh, one can uh, guess which areas you may want to write about if you are to make an entry. What will be working on in the Best Australian Young uh, competition?
4: I will be um, one of the judges for the prize, which is really exciting as well because it just gives an o- opportunity for every other Aboriginal person over 12 to enter. And it can be on any topic, whatever people want to write from fantasy to um, something like maybe related to the land or the beach or um, or something related to um, like a childhood sort of um, storyline or anything. It can be related to anything. So I think That's why it's so um, exciting because there's no limit on what the topic you can write about and all the genre. Yeah, writing 1,000 to
2: 2,500 words uh, can be hard, but it's quite accessible to many people. But the challenge, I guess, would be to squeeze in as many ideas and concepts uh, while remaining informative, entertaining, and engaging at the same time.
4: Yeah, and I think that's why it's just really great because. Our stories have impact and when you're able to tell stories, you're able to touch the hearts and minds of people as well and you're able to influence and you're able to share experiences and it also is a form of education. And it's just depending on what words you use, the tone, the language, the way that you go to convey your message, it can make a really big difference on making people um, either jump on and support your course or not. And so it does make a really big difference. So you're right in saying um, the stories, yes, they. there's lots of different ways you can write it. Um, and even with um, Aboriginal people, like we use a lot of our own language when we're talking. And it would be nice to see language used in the stories as well because that's who we are and sharing that with other people in the country is just also a form of reconciliation and a form of education and sharing the way that um, we perceive the world.
2: Now, on the downside of including so many languages uh that would be costly to have all the works translated uh, and examined I guess would be turn out to be a costly exercise yeah, I think
4: if we have a translation as well in English, that would be brilliant because we have what well, over five hundred different language groups across Australia um. And so it would be very hard as well to be able to translate that when we're, um, if I'm judging over from over in WA and the language is um, a, a language from Queensland that obviously I don't know. So <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that, that will be really challenging. And uh, what are the organisations backing the best Australianian competition?
4: Yeah, so this year we were really excited because Navitas is our main sponsor and. They came on board and they said um, that they wanted to have a First Nations storytelling competition, which was great because it gives our young people and adults an opportunity to have their own category and share their stories, which is so important as well, because it recognises the importance of Indigenous storytelling, our culture, and us as, um, as having our own category. So it's exciting. um, And Navitas are brilliant. And we're really excited to have them on board as our sponsor.
2: And can you give us some uh, practical information and details on how to enter the competition? And uh, also, if there's any form of support for potential entrants who may need help in their entry process?
4: yeah so we have a website um, and it's called the best Australian yarn so if you just put that into Google or you could put the best australian yarn. com dot all of the informations online, Um, The closing day is in in early August as well. So there's plenty of time for people to enter. And we have frequently asked questions as well. Um, And it's pretty simple. You just need to write your story and then log on, create an account and then upload it. But if you have any questions as well, um, you're able to um, reach out to either myself. um, I can give you my details to reach out to, to me as well. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Um, and yeah, excited to see the entries that come through.
2: Now Emma Galeed before we part, any message you'd like to send to our listeners in the community?
4: Um, I think that this is just very exciting. It's a great opportunity for young people to share their stories and it's a really good opportunity for um, young aspiring authors to to share what um, they're doing and what they write about and it's really accessible to being only the, a minimum of a thousand words and So I encourage everyone to enter if you feel that you have a willingness and appetite to. um, And, yeah, I look forward to reading them.
2: Emma Galette, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today about this exciting storytelling competition, the Best Australian Yarn Competition. Oh,
4: thank you for having me. NITV Radio,
1: on radio, online and mobile.
2: And as we edge close to the end of the program, I'd like to invite you to check our website, sbs.com.au slash nitvradio. Because we constantly update this website with uh, new content, uh, some of which never makes it to the airwaves. And also I'd urge you to check us and uh, follow us on our social media platforms, especially Facebook, and uh, continue the conversation uh, there as well. And please be respectful no nasty comments because we constantly monitor that and if you don't follow our guidelines your comments will be deleted and uh, this brings us to the end of uh, today's program Bertrand Tungandami yeah. I am thanking you for staying with us this Friday afternoon and wishing you very beautiful and safe weekend till next time bye for now Yalu.